Good morning, everybody. This is Adam Farnsworth, the preaching minister from Connect Church in Tulsa. Okay. And uh, we're going to pray over him. Uh, and there's going to be a little video. But I've known Adam for 20 years uh, since he was a student at the University of Florida back in 2002 and 2003. Uh, so it's been quite a while. Uh, but I appreciate Adam so much and his heart for God and as he speaks to us on being faithful through difficult times. Let's pray to the Father. Lord, we're so thankful for Adam and the message uh, he's bringing to us this morning. And Lord, we thank you so much for Jonathan's message just a moment ago. And Lord, let us have uh, love that is passionate and is on fire for you, Father, for all that you do in our life, for all that you continue to do for us, Father, and for the opportunities we have to seek and save the lost, Father. And Lord, let us be faithful in all times, in good times, in bad times, in rough times, Father. There will be difficulties in life, but Lord, we know that you're always there to hold our hand. And Lord, thank you so much for Adam's message this morning. It's through your son's name we pray, and we all say together, amen. Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Amen. So I'm talking about my, my lesson today is about the letter to the church in Smyrna, and it's called Faithful in Hard Times. And really, honestly, I could have just said, see above, and left after Jonathan, pull it Mackie style. But, um, but that was faithful in hard times. He's holding it back and, and still delivering. Um, that was awesome. The church in Smyrna, you know, these letters are all written to different churches in different circumstances. Most of them are letters of correction. Most of them are talking about problems that the church is having with their heart, with their attitude, with their behavior. The church in Smyrna wasn't doing anything wrong, and yet their circumstances were the worst out of anybody. The church that is the most faithful, that gets the letter is the most faithful, has the most stuff going on with it, which is counterintuitive in a worldly sense, right? It makes no sense, you would think, and we hear sometimes what is going on? Why is this happening to me, God? Haven't I done this for you? Didn't I move here for you? Didn't I lead this group? Didn't I, didn't I lead this person to Christ? Didn't I do all these things? Why is this happening to me? And the disconnect there and what we forget and what, why these letters are so important is to remember that always in Scripture, the most faithful people get the roughest deal in this world, right? Jesus' nickname was the man of sorrows, Right? And if you act like Jesus acted, you're going to get what Jesus got. Amen? That's a normal thing. And we act like it's not because it's hard. But this, these letters remind us that just because stuff is happening doesn't mean that you're not faithful or that you're doing something wrong. See, the, the people in Smyrna were receiving it from both ends. They were getting Roman, they have Romans around them, they have Jews around them. And when the Romans 
persecute them, then you lose all your, rep, all your ability to join guilds and, and you know, these, these employment groups where you just couldn't get work. And if you were a Jew in your background, your family was disowning you. And so you're just losing all of your support systems were being stripped away. And there was no welfare. There was no, you know, support system from the government. The government, the last thing they wanted was to help Christians live longer. And so they are starving and they are isolated and they're, they're trying to figure out what in the world does this mean when we are faithful. And you go through the list. It talks about afflictions and poverty and slander and prison and persecution and death for a faithful church. And when you look at the words that, have used there, that are used there, the word affliction means, um, the Greek there means a crushing pressure. And have you guys felt that? Have you gone through times where you just feel crushed under the weight of what's going on? Like this is just, I can hold a lot and I can do a lot, but this is more than I can bear. This is too heavy for me. And when it talks about poverty, there's a couple different words for poverty. There's one that means just not wealthy, like you gotta work really hard to get by. And then there's the poverty he's talking about, which means you got nothing right? Like you're not eating today kind of poor. And that's what they're dealing with, the crushing pressure and not having anything from a worldly standpoint. And yet he looks at all of that and says, and yet you are rich, which is an insane thing to say to people that are destitute, that have absolutely nothing. Not like I couldn't buy those shoes I wanted poor, right? But like, I don't know what I'm going to eat and I'm probably not going to be able to eat tomorrow either poor. And he says, and yet you are rich. And that makes no sense but he says, if you are faithful, then you will be victorious. And so we're going to talk today about what faithful looks like, what we need to know in order to stay faithful. Um, but it, it's for the times in your life where it's just too heavy, where you're being crushed. Um, for me, that time came after a perfect morning. On October 21st, 2011, I had the perfect morning. I was having breakfast with my parents and my wife's parents um, we had my three-year-old daughter there, Kaylee. We, um, Crystal was nine months pregnant with our son, and we were, we were taking one last trip home to be with everybody um, while we were doing campus ministry and, and a new ministry, and so we wanted to have a taste of home before we, we got into the grind of trying to do ministry um, with a, a new baby and all that. And so my parents did what they usually did, and they took my daughter, and they went um, and, and drove separately with her so they could hang out. Crystal and I went on a little date and, and, and had some fun, and, and I get a call while we're out on our date that there's been an accident, and that my parents are gone, and they don't know if my daughter's going to make it. And so we rush to the hospital, and my brother gets there, and, and it's, just, it's just the end. Like, there's just nothing left. You know, I, I don't, it doesn't look good for, for Kaylee. I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the, you know, the fact that my parents are gone and, and it just has no, there's no reason for it. Like we're doing ministry. Like we moved to the place in Florida we were at to do ministry. Like everything we're doing seemed like the right thing. And now this stupid thing has happened that makes no sense in the world. And so you have to ask yourself in those moments, and that's not, you know, unique to me. So many people, you know, we sent one of our, our kids, one of our new members, our new people out to um, the Crossings camp, and he won the Mallory Smith Award. I'm like, man, you don't even know what that means. Like, you, that's such, you don't even know the honor that you're getting with that. There's so many stories like that of stuff that's just crushing weight. And when you, how do you process that? How do you process when the unthinkable happens for no apparent reason? How do you heal? How do you stay faithful through all of that? And there's a few things that we've got to keep in mind to just lay a foundation so that you don't crumble under the weight of it. Because if you've got the right support, then you won't be crushed. 
There's three things that we need to remember, three truths that God says in this passage that we need to remember about hard hard times. The first thing we need to remember is that God can relate to your hard times. Right, in verse eight, it says, these are the words of him who is first and last, right? That he came first and he'll be there till the end. And there are a lot of ways to describe Jesus, but look at how he gets described to the church in Smyrna. He gets described as the one who died and came back to life again. See, God has been around for a minute and he's put up with a lot, right? Through thousands of years, he's put up with a lot of stuff from us and he stayed with us. And what we need to be careful of is that we don't confuse the all-powerful with the unfeeling, The fact that he has been around forever and the fact that he can do anything doesn't mean that he doesn't feel it when it hurts. It doesn't mean that he doesn't weep when his son goes on a cross. It doesn't mean that he mourns when we make decisions against him and and run into bad situations and put ourselves in harm's way. He still feels every minute of that. The reason that you can feel, the reason that your heart breaks when the pressure ramps up is because you are made in the image of God and your heart breaks because his heart breaks. That's why it works that way. We're made in the image of God. He feels all of it. He can relate to your hard times. He went through suffering first, and he showed us how to navigate it in a way that leads to life and not to death, right? So we need to remember that when you're going through that, God is not a stranger to that. He can relate. We need to remember that God cares about your hard times, that he is aware of your troubles. In in verse nine, it says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know about the slander, Right? He wants them to know that this stuff happening hasn't caught me off guard and it has not ruined my plan for you. Right? This does not take us off the rails. I know this. I know this is happening and the plan moves forward. And there's a theme over and over again of Scripture of God reassuring people that are going through hard times by saying, you are not alone. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is a prophet and he's been faithful for a lot of years and no matter how faithful he is and no matter how many times he stands up to the authorities, it still goes wrong for him. He gets chased and abused and, and belittled and he goes through all this stuff and at the end of it, he comes to like the end of his ministry and he says, God, I am alone. I have been faithful for all this time and everyone in Israel has forgotten you and is worshiping false gods. What was the point? And what God tells him is, not only are you not alone, there are 7,000 out there that are faithful that you don't know, and what he doesn't know is right after that, he brings along Elisha, who's gonna share in the workload and, and kind of take up the mantle, and what he doesn't know is that all that time where he felt alone, and he felt like God had forgotten about him, God was moving stuff in the background for months and years to prepare that moment of relief for him. Right? He felt like he was forgotten, but the truth was God knew the whole time it was getting stuff ready to, to rescue him. And that's how it is for us. God has not forgotten about you. And in the times where you think that he's not there, it just means he's busy doing stuff in the background that you don't know about, just for you. And the third thing we need to remember is that your hard times will not last forever. No matter how interminable they seem, no matter how much we think we will never heal from this, they will not last forever. He says in there, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And he doesn't mean that literally. 10 days is shorthand for a limited amount of time. It, it, won't, it won't last forever is what he's trying to tell them. And he gives the church hope that if they can hold out through the storm, they will see victory in the end. Your hard times will not last forever. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we just went through this in a lot of our churches on the Which Way Out series. It says, every test that you've experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. It is normal to go through this stuff, but God keeps his promise and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. And at the time that you are put to the test, 
He will give you the strength to endure, endure it and provide you with a way out. He will provide you with a way out, which means he's the one rescuing it. So the way that he gives you out is always going to require being as close to him as possible, right? That's what, when he gives you the way out, it doesn't mean we get to pick the way out, right? It means that God chooses the way out and it will always require us to stay hooked in with him as, as closely as we can. Freedom comes through faithfulness. That's the message to the church in Smyrna, that if you want to be free, if you want to move past this, if you want to get to the other side of what you're going through, it will come through faithfulness, faithfulness through suffering. There's a famous Robert Frost poem where he says, the only way out is through, right? And that is so true. Like we, there's no, you can't shortcut your way to the end. And that's what I want all the time, right? When I'm going through something horrible, I'm like, can we just fast forward Right, can we move on to three months from now, two years from now, whenever this is, where I'm okay, and can we just make all that happen without going through all the stuff in the middle? And there's no way around it. The only way out is through. But God's promise is that if we will stay faithful through all that, we will have victory at the end of it. At the end of that passage in, in the letter to Smyrna in Revelations 2, 10 through 11, it says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has, hears, let, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Our struggles will end at some point. In this life or in the next, one way or another, your struggles will end in this life. And we will ultimately, ultimately we will look back on this part of our, our existence, this life as part of our existence, as a very small part of our existence in the big, in the big scheme of things. Our time on earth is such a small percentage of our, our existence as a, as a soul. <clears throat> and how we handle this life and what it throws at us will determine how prepared we are for the rest of that existence and where we spend that existence. How we handle the stuff going on right now is what's going to matter. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it's talking about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow in regards to repentance and, and when we do something wrong, but I think it applies just as well to how we, have, how we deal with suffering. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, suffering happens either way. You are going to suffer. If you are faithful, you will suffer. If you are unfaithful, you will suffer. We live in a broken world with broken people doing messed up things, right? And you are gonna be in the midst of that and there's messed up stuff, that, messed up stuff that's gonna happen to you. Whether we follow God or whether we follow the world will determine whether what we went through is futile and sad and pointless or whether it is transformative and productive and powerful, right? Worldly suffering, just like worldly sorrow, leads to avoidance, right? When I, am, when I am suffering and I don't have the support of God, I try not to think about it, right? It leads to blame, and I start blaming other people for what I'm going through. It leads to anger. It leads to isolation. It leads to stagnation. It just leads to us sitting in it. That, that, that junk about time heals all wounds, right? Not necessarily. Time by itself doesn't make things better. That's not how the world works, right? If you leave, if you leave a house right, for 10 years, and you're like, time heals all wounds, right? It doesn't, the house doesn't get better over time, right? The only way time 
makes a house better is if there's work going on in the house, right? If there's someone living in it and doing the things that are necessary for keeping up a house. And our lives are the same way. If you just stop trying in life for six months, your life doesn't get better, right? Your heart doesn't heal. Your heart heals over time if you respond to it in a godly way that brings humility and realizing I don't have this covered. It brings community. It brings progress. It brings transformation, right? When we're suffering in a godly way, So what does that look like? How do we stay faithful? What does faithful look like when you're going through stuff that's crushing you? And I'm gonna bring you through four things, and this is where we're gonna spend our time today. How do we remain faithful? What are we gonna do to stay faithful when our world is falling down around us and we don't know which way is up and we don't know which way to turn? The first thing I've gotta do is I will remain in communication with God. This is the most important part. And that's what you see in all these faithful people who are going through terrible times. What you see over and over again is they kept the lines of communication open with God. And I remember one of my, my core memories, one of my, my most powerful memories is sitting on the floor in the hospital with my brother, not knowing if Kaylee was gonna make it or not at that point. We didn't know how it would play out yet. And praise God, she made it and she's incredible. And, and I, I'm so thankful for that. But I didn't have that. Right? And that's what we got to remember. Sometimes you read in Acts and you're like, well, of course, right? They made it through. Well, guess what? Paul didn't have Acts 7 in Acts 6, right? So these people that are being faithful, like they didn't have the spoilers. So in this moment where we don't know how it's going to turn out, sitting on the floor with my brother, and the only thing that we could pray was, God, I'm not going anywhere. I can't promise you anything else, but I promise we're not leaving. And that was our prayer. And it's all I could offer at that point. That's all I had in the tank because I've tried my way so many other times when the stakes were a lot lower than this and it it was messed up and it didn't work out. And so with stakes like this, with my daughter's life on the line, even if she doesn't make it, we're not going anywhere. We're staying put and we'll keep talking. And I don't know what that looks like from there, but that we're not going anywhere. In Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, which were not easy, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And I want you to notice that it says that Jesus was heard, not that Jesus always got what he asked for. Even Jesus, when Jesus said, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, right? Don't make me go through this. And God's answer was, we got to go through this, son, right? The only way out is through. Jesus didn't always get the yes to his prayers, which means that if you pray and it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you did it wrong. It means that if I had prayed and Kaylee hadn't made it, that still means that God is faithful, right? It means that when we pray, we are heard and that God is working through it. And what Jesus did get wasn't necessarily always what he asked for, but what he got was enough strength not only to get through his hard times, but to bust open the doors of hell, right? And break out the whole world if they were willing to follow him. And that's a lot more than he was asking for, right? God had something better in mind for him through that because he prayed, because he kept the lines of communication open. And I know that, and I know his disciples saw it because when crowds would leave Jesus, Jesus would turn to his disciples and say, Where are you guys going to? And they said, we got nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. I'm not going anywhere else. They learned that from him. I will remain faithful and I will remain in communication with God 
to stay faithful. To stay faithful, I will remain dead to myself and alive in Christ. I will continually, it says that we need to die to ourselves. How often? Every day, right? This is not, dying to yourself does not come naturally. It is the furthest thing from our nature. In fact, when it talks about the human nature, it is always referring to the opposite of dying to yourself. Right? When it talks about our nature, our flesh, it's always the opposite of that. But if we'll put in the work of dying to ourselves every day, you will see a powerful harvest. In John 12, 24 through 25, it says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We've got a shell around us, right? We've got life inside of us. Jesus comes in and he breathes life into us, right? With his Holy Spirit. And we develop this shell and we're like, I'm gonna hold on to that. And I'm just gonna, I'm afraid to let it out sometimes. I'm afraid when God calls me to do scary things, when God calls me to do hard things, I wrap that shell around me and I protect it and I fight off anyone who tries to get me to do those hard things, who wants me to talk about my hurts, who wants me to share the things I've gone through, who wants me to, to admit the things I've done wrong. And I wrap that shell around me and I say, I will not budge. And as long as I do that, everything that God is pouring into me will only affect me and if that. But if I will let that go, if I will die to myself and allow others to speak into my life and allow others to, to challenge me to die to myself and do new things for God, then that's where the new life pours out onto others. It changes our hearts, it changes our minds. When we die to ourselves, it develops a godly perspective, right? When I die to myself, I start seeing things through God's eyes. I start realizing that I am not the center of the universe. There are more important things out there. And that's an important thing to understand. I start seeing, I start reading scripture and realizing, man, this has been around, this world's been around for a long time before me. It'll probably be around a long time after me. And God's got this thing figured out and I don't have to right? It gives you a godly perspective. It trains us to be dependent on the Spirit, to rely on Him. When you are dying to yourself and doing the things that Jesus did, it will push you to your limit, and you will have to rely on Him. When you start trying to have relationships, like Jesus had relationships, where you are vulnerable and people can reject you, and you are sharing your hardest stuff, your scariest stuff, and giving people the freedom to step on that and ignore it and reject you, that's scary, and you have to depend on the Spirit to get through it, and he trains you to do that. And it teaches us what godly waiting looks like. A lot of times, trusting in God means waiting, but waiting in God never looks like just sitting around. When you wait in the Lord, you're expecting something to happen, right? You're already praising him for what you're praying for, for the deliverance that you know he's gonna offer. And so you start doing things to prepare yourself for that. You, you wait in a godly way. It's not passive, it's active waiting. I'm gonna do everything I need to do to set myself up so that when this miracle comes, when this deliverance comes, deliverance comes I'm ready to receive it. it. It trains us in that way when we die to ourselves every day and it helps us to be faithful because we trust and we see things through God's eyes and we know how to wait for him without freaking out, right? The third thing that I'll do to remain faithful is I will remain in community. God is acknowledged as far back as there were people that it is not good for man to be alone, right? It's one of the first things we learned about ourselves that God taught us is it is not good to be alone. And yet when we go through our hard times, 
And all of us will go through hard things that are more to bear alone, more than we can bear alone. Sometimes we withdraw. Sometimes we start trying to find ways to medicate and deal with it ourselves and pull back. It's a normal response to try to isolate and save yourself when you are going through these difficult times. And it is the last thing that we need to do. Again, if your flesh is crying out for it, that's a big warning sign that you shouldn't do it, right? We need to go the opposite direction and go the way God has called us to. In 1 Peter 5, 9 through 10, it says, resist, resist him, talking about the devil, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We need to be around people that are open about what they're going through. And it says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. There is nothing better than going through life surrounded by brothers and sisters who are in the fight with you. There's nothing better than that. And there are a lot of people in this room that move to where they are living now because they, are, because they wanted to be a part of a family like that. There are a lot of people who have turned down job opportunities and career goals to stay at a place where they knew they had brothers and sisters in the fight with them. And I have never, I've, I've done that and I, I have never regretted that decision. It is, it is the best thing, best decision I ever made for my family. It's the best decision that I, I could have made for, for myself and, and for our ministry. It gives you the strength to stand firm and keep going to keep it moving we, if we stay in community. And finally, if we're gonna remain faithful, I need to remain ready to share my story. Not just share it once in a testimony video, not just say it you know, in, in one moment, but to, to continually share your story. Sharing our story in is, is an essential part of healing. right? When, when, when Peter had betrayed God, had betrayed Jesus, and, and he knew he had. He denied him three times while Jesus was going through his darkest moment. And Jesus wanted to restore Peter and he wanted him to know, I'm gonna show you the way back home. You feel like you've done something that is so bad that it's the end of the road for you and I'm gonna restore you. And here's what I'm gonna say. He gets Peter off to the side and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. He says, then feed my sheep, right? That was the road back for Peter was to serve others, was to share what he had been through. Was to sh and Peter spent the rest of his life sharing what it looked like to walk with God with others and restoring them through that. And it was, that's how his healing happened. And when we don't share our story, that's when it, it eats us from inside and we start falling back on old habits and we start falling back on old coping mechanisms and bad things that we ran away from in the beginning, but now we're falling back into because we're, we're feeling weak. Letting God use your story to show someone else what his love looks like turns a painful memory into something that breathes hope into you and into other people. And you don't have to have, the story of losing my parents, that's the most traumatic thing that I've had to deal with, but it's not my whole story. You don't have to have a dramatic story for your story to have power. And if I'm honest, the really heavy stories aren't always the most appropriate thing to go up, to bring up when someone's going through something that's, that's more common, right? You don't wanna like just drop the hammer on them and feel like you're, you're one-upping them when they're talking about something they're going through. I have connected with more people sharing about my insecurities and my failures and, and um, you know, the miscarriages we've gone through and, and the conflicts we've had to overcome in our marriage. That's been pulled out of my toolbox a lot more often than the bigger stuff, you know, in, in quotes. That's where the, your power comes at any point 
that God has taken you from death to life. Right? If there is a moment where you are choosing death, where you are choosing selfishness, where you are choosing isolation, choosing unhealthy things, and God brought you out of that into something healthier, that is your story and it is powerful to share. And the only way we will stay faithful is if we continue to share that story. If you are open to allowing God to use all of your story and you're willing to listen before talking, then you'll know what to bring up. Don't go into a conversation with a story like queued up, like I'm gonna drop this one on them, it's gonna fix all their problems, right? We need to go in and listen to what they have to say, listen to what they're going through, and then trust that the Spirit's gonna provide us with the things to say and, or the things not to say, right? One of, my, one of my most faithful brothers came to the hospital every day while Kaylee was recovering, and every day we'd wake up and the doctor would tell us, this might be it. That's what I got to wake up to every morning is the doctor, we'd have the report with the doctor and they'd say, it's a brain injury. You never know how far it'll go. Where she is right now might be the end of the road. We'll see. And I had a brother who would sit in the waiting room and he'd text me and say, I'll be here for the next hour. Come out if you need to. And he did that for weeks. He would come out and he'd sit in the waiting room. And if I came out, that was great. And if I didn't come out, he still considered it time well spent. Right? And sometimes I'd come out and he wouldn't say a word and I'd just sit with him. And he could tell I just wasn't up for talking and he'd just be there. And sometimes we'd come out and talk, but he was there and he was ready to share with me what I needed in that moment because it wasn't about him. And when you're using your story to benefit others and to set them free, it's gonna be powerful and it's gonna heal you and it's gonna heal others. How do we find freedom? We find freedom through faithfulness. God transforms us through our suffering. I love the passage in Romans 5, three through five. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings which again is an insane thing to say, but he says it for a reason. He says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That transformation, that transformation from suffering to staying faithful, from staying faithful to building character and from building character to being a source of hope it changes us into someone else. It changes us into someone who has seen some stuff, right? It changes us into someone who can walk into dark places with confidence, who can walk into the dark corners of your friend's life and the stories that they've never shared before and know that I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I serve a God who does, amen? I can walk into places that I was always afraid to go and I can know that because I was faithful through this time by the power of God and because he brought me through this, your story may look different than mine, but I can walk through you with it. And you will look behind you after living for years that way, after being the one who will, who will start conversations that other people are afraid of, who will pray with people that others are avoiding, who will, who will welcome people into your home who will maybe smell bad and, and look bad and are rough around the edges and say things that you wish your kids hadn't heard, right? But if you do that for years and years and years and you stay faithful to that, you will look behind you and you will see a wake of people that have been transformed by the heart of God poured out through you. And you will look in front of you and you will see a father who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are unbelievably good to us. And even when our world feels like it's falling apart, you are very much there. And you have proven that through thousands of years and you're not gonna stop now. And so I pray that when the world crushes us, that we would stand firm. Father, when the, the things that we go through in this life feel like they're too much, that we would cling to you all the closer. And Father, I thank you in advance as we wait with expectation for the harvest that you're bringing. Father, through the people in this room, through the people in your body,
Father, that we would live that out, that we would be the hands and feet of you, of your son. And, and Father, that when people stand around us, that we would be so full of hope and so full of peace that it would pour out on them and change their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.